following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. From the time I was a small child, growing up in a very serious Christian family, my heart has been bent toward Jesus Christ. I have wanted him. I have sought him. Now, as a child, it was, yes, the call of God on my heart, and the decision was made to be a pastor when I was a bare five and six years old. I don't remember a time in my life when I did not want to be a pastor. That was always the cry of my heart. And so I did what was necessary, beginning with grade school, to prepare myself for a life of ministry. I began preaching when I was very young, when I could not yet reach the pulpit. My father had to put a box for me to stand on so I could see over it. High school, college, seminary. Then finally into full-time ministry, ordination, and service. But my heart, through all of those years, was dissatisfied. So dissatisfied that as I spoke with friends, and I found that they were very satisfied, I was greatly troubled by this. I didn't understand why they could be so happy and so satisfied in their religion. I won't judge them, but my heart was desiring something much deeper, something more. That process, that hunger, that searching of my heart led me to leave the denomination that I was raised in. I found that it did not measure up with what the scriptures taught. I found at variance. And then I leaned toward the Reformed movement, the Dutch Reformed. Positive thinking, possibility thinking. But it didn't, it didn't satisfy the cry of, of my heart. I was still Missing something. Founded an independent church in Bethesda, Maryland. Searching. Finally saying, I can't have all that I want in Jesus, but I'll at least be a booming success. And so I went with the music and the programs the entertainment, the seeker-sensitive church, much like Willow Creek or other great churches in America. But instead of being satisfied, my heart only grew more desperate, hungrier. The change came when my father died, 
and I stood at his casket. I'd had many disagreements with my father about theology. He had been desperately disappointed by the schools that I had gone to and what they had taught me about Jesus. My father had this strange belief to me. It seemed like a legalistic belief. He believed that a man had to be made holy in order to enter the kingdom of God. And I, of course, did not believe that. I believed that the blood of Jesus covered my sin and that I could go to heaven even though I was walking in sin in my personal life. And so that point of discussion separated my father and myself, and I stood looking down at him in that casket, and I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Dad had been right and that I was wrong. It was a revelation of God to my heart, and I came home from that that grieving of my father's death. And I again set my heart on wholeheartedly searching after Jesus. And this time, I recognize now looking back that the Lord Jesus enrolled me in the school of the Holy Spirit Now, there had been some very significant people in my life through the years. One of the most significant was a professor that I had not had. He taught theology on the undergraduate level. What happened is I was walking down the hallway, leaving the the administrative center for theological education. And I heard this man teaching, and I stopped, and I stood at the door, and I listened. I had never heard a man speak about Jesus the way this man did. He was an elderly man. In fact, his last year of teaching, he retired after that. It was a man by the name of Dr. Minchin. I listened to him as he spoke about Jesus, and my heart was strangely warmed. I recognize now that the Holy Spirit came and called me, but I didn't know how to follow. And it wasn't until many years later, standing at my father's casket, that I had that same coming of the Holy Spirit into my heart and my life. It was not a smooth transition. I won't tell you the whole story, but it was a very painful transition as the Holy Spirit led me into the wilderness and began to take from me everything I had created for myself. 
Now, I share this with you because I frankly have a very honest question to ask you. Do you have enough of Jesus in your life to open the way to heaven? Do you find in your heart a hunger for more of Jesus? Do you know how to find him? Are you content with your level of of love and commitment to Jesus? Or do you find yourself still walking in sin? Still filled with everything of the world? Now, it's interesting to me that when Jesus begins his Galilean ministry and Most of his ministry was in Galilee. After they tried to kill him in Nazareth, he left Nazareth and he moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, land of Zebulun and Naphtali toward the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness saw great light. And to the ones living in a land and shadow of death, light dawned on them. Has that light dawned on you? Or do you still just have random teachings, understandings, culturalisms that cause you to say, yes, I'm a Christian? But the light of Jesus Christ has never been born in your heart, and you still walk in darkness, although you're very religious. Frankly, that's where I found myself. Very religious, with a dark heart. Jesus began to preach. And this is what the scriptures tell us he preached. Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, You must repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You must repent. That is, there must be a radical turn in your life. Have you come yet to that place as I did at my father's casket? Where finally it dawned on me that there had to be a radical change in my life, and I willingly was enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure I would have willingly enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit had I even begun to understand the cost, financial, emotional, physical, if I'd even begun to understand the cost, I'm not sure I would have enrolled. But I was not offered that information. I was simply invited to be enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit to search after Jesus. And so that's what I did. Now, I also will tell you 
that I would do it all over again. The peace and the joy and the life in my inner soul and in my ministry are so great. The joy of the presence of Jesus is so astounding. I would again pay any price necessary to have that peace and joy in my heart. So I'm telling you today, if you have not yet enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit and you don't know how to enroll, I'm going to tell you very plainly today. We find the book of Matthew. I spoke to you about this yesterday. The question came about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? The disciples, they were regularly asking that question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, it's clear that Jesus had been teaching his disciples If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, must take up his cross, and must follow me. For whoever may will to save his life will lose it, but whoever may lose his life for my sake will find it. For what does a man profit if he may gain the whole world and may suffer the loss of his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, the disciples, after the transfiguration and after the healing of this boy who is filled with a demon, they begin to question who is the greatest. And so he takes the child and he puts them around this child and he speaks about this child And he says, truly, I say to you, this is found in Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly, I say to you, if you may not be changed inwardly, and the NIV says, if you may not be converted. What does the word mean in the Greek? I shared with you yesterday. It means literally there must be a change. And the change is affected by an outside influence. It's not a self-improvement process. It is something God comes and does in us when we submit to it. So when we submit to the school of the Holy Spirit, a very large part of that is that we will submit to being changed, that we will stop fighting the Holy Spirit, that we will instead give ourselves to entrance through the narrow gate. Now, Jesus addresses this in Matthew, the sixth chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll begin reading with verse 31. So never begin to worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we put on? 
for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you want to be enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, you must begin to seek earnestly the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? When the rubber hits the road, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It literally means that I will seek the authority, the divine authority of God to be exercised over my life. It's not a geographic kingdom. It's a kingdom of divine authority. So literally, I should read this, but you must seek first the divine authority of God. That's number one. If you want to enter the school of the Holy Spirit, you must begin with all of your heart to seek the divine authority of God over your life. Now, when you begin to seek the divine authority of God, you must give up every other authority over your life. You must turn your back on all of the powers of this world and say, Jesus, rule over me. A wonderful prayer to begin entering into the school of the Holy Spirit is, Jesus, please rule over my life. I give it to you. I submit it to you. Now begin to change me. Exercise your divine authority over my life and mold and shape me into the person you want me to be. Now there's another aspect of this. He continues. First seek the kingdom of God or the royal authority of God and his righteousness. Nikasune in the Greek, innocence. And all these things will be added to you. So the task of the Christian who wants more of Jesus is to ask for the divine authority of God to be exercised over your life. And then secondly, to ask that the gates of righteousness would be opened to you. Literally, dikasune means innocence. Innocence. So that as you walk out your life, you are innocent, not harming people, not lying, cheating, stealing, not fornicating. In every respect, you are asking that the royal authority of God be exercised over you. And you are seeking his righteousness. Now, he says, so never be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for the things of itself. It means literally, in verse 13 of chapter 7, you must enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way leading into destruction. He's talking here not about pagan people. He's talking here about people who are religious. And he's saying there is a religious gate. There is 
if you even would please, a humanistic gate. Where I'm going to do all I can to love everybody. I'm going to be the best person I can be. There is a wide gate. It is a broad gate. And many enter through this gate. But then he goes on and he says, How narrow is the gate and restricted is the way that leads to life. And the ones finding it are few. I began to recognize that that most people who were religious were not going to go to heaven because the fruit of their life was not righteousness. The fruit of their life was worry, bitterness, anger, rebellion, self, self-importance, the desires of self. I recognize that I could not go to heaven and be filled with myself. There had to be an emptying, and I couldn't do it myself. God had to do it in me. This kingdom of God had to come into my life. This school of the Holy Spirit I had to enroll in it. Now, let me just share with you what the Gospel of John, the author, said in his epistle of 1 John. Let me read this to you. And by this we know, verse 3, that we have known him if we may continue to keep his commandments. The one saying, I have known him, but not continuing to keep his commandments, he is a liar. The truth is not in his person. But whoever may keep his word, truly in this person the love of God has been perfected or completed. By this we know that we are in him. The one claiming to continue in him ought himself to walk just as that one, or just as Jesus also walked. Now, listen to this. Brethren, sisters, I'm not writing a new commandment to you that never previously existed, but an old commandment which you were having from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So he's saying, look, I'm not coming bringing a strange doctrine to you. All through the old covenant, the cry of God to the children of Israel, to the patriarchs, the cry of God has always been the same. It has never changed. And that cry has been, would you? Allow me to rule over your life. Will you allow me to bring about in your life what I desire to bring about? Will you obey the law? Will you obey my commands? That's the old command. Keep the commandments. 
He's saying, look, I'm not changing that. That is still the commandment that we must consider. The old commandment is still binding on your life. It's not going to change. So John is saying, look, there is an old commandment. It's what you've heard from the very beginning. You must leave your sin. You must repent. You must be washed and you must be made clean. And of course, that was done with the blood of bulls and goats. That was done with the sanctuary service. And those in the old covenant were declared righteous. They were covered. Their sins were covered. And their sins were not forgiven until Jesus went to the cross and then retroactively, (coughs) pardon me, retroactively, their sins were forgiven. Then he says, verse 8, this is 1 John 2, verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you that never previously existed, which is true in him, that is in Jesus and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is this? new commandment that's being issued. How does it differ? Well, listen, the one claiming to be in the light and yet hating his brother is in the darkness until now. The one loving his brother continues in the light, but enticement to sin is not in him. But the one hating his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness blinded his eyes. He's saying there is a new commandment, and when you are under this new commandment, there is no longer an enticement to sin in your heart. That enticement to sin has been removed. Now, it's in that context that he continues in verse 15. You must not love the world, neither the things in the world. If anyone may love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because every conceivable thing which is in the world, now this he identifies as what is in the world, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the conceit of life. The lust of the flesh is sexual sin, but it's more than sexual sin. It's everything that our flesh wants to be pampered with. It's comfortableness. It's normal life as I walk in my arrogance before God. Lust of the eyes, everything I want to own. Go with a child to a store. Oh, Daddy, buy me this. Oh, Mama, buy me this. 
and everything jumps out at them and they say, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. I know some people like this. Even as adults, they're still like that. They are only limited by their income. And then the conceit of life. Usually we we speak about the three stages of life. The young person with their hormones dancing with life before them. Wanting to fulfill all the lust of their flesh. And then the man who's married and he's trying to get ahead in life. He's trying to buy that house and that new car and he's trying to establish himself. And then the conceit of life, the older man who's retired now, full of the stories of how great he is. of all of his life experiences and what he has said and done and how important he is. All of this is not out of the Father. It's out of the world. And he says, and so the world is passing away in the lust of it, but the one doing the will of God continues into the age. In other words, the one who has heard the new command, who has entered into the Holy Spirit, who has enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, that person has had the power of God influence, change, and restructure their whole life. And now all they want is Jesus. There's no longer an enticement of the flesh. There's no longer an enticement of the lust of the eyes. There's no longer an enticement for the conceit of making myself something. There is a humility. But now let's go directly to the words of Jesus. In the third chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about this transition. Nicodemus comes to him at night. He is a Pharisee. He is a very religious man. He is one of the leaders. He is a man of great influence and powerful standing in the community and at the temple. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He sits on the Sanhedrin. This man comes to Jesus by night. I've always been curious about Why did he come at night? Did he not want anyone to see him? Or was he just so busy he figured he'd stop by and chat with this new Jewish rabbi? He opens the conversation with Jesus in a very respectful manner. Remember, Jesus is a young man and the rabbi, the ruler of the Jew, the Pharisee, is an old man. And so he honors Jesus by addressing him as, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one is able to do these signs that you are doing unless God may be with him. 
And you would expect Jesus to respond by saying, Thank you, Nicodemus. I'm so glad you came. I've wanted to talk with you as well. And perhaps we would even expect Jesus to say something, You know, I've wanted to make an inroad into the Sanhedrin. Perhaps we need to talk about how I could reach out to the Sanhedrin and how they would begin to understand who I am and what I am. Maybe we could come to some kind of agreement. No. No, 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 no. Jesus answers this powerful ruler of the Jews. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless anyone may be born from above, he is not able to experience the kingdom of God. Let's break that down. Unless he is born from above, he will not be able to experience the royal authority of God. Nicodemus had all the authority of the religious the religious culture of the day. But he did not have an experience of the kingdom of God. The royal authority of God was not functioning in his life. Please, do you have in your life the experience of the royal authority of God? Have you been born from above? This is the same thing we were speaking of a moment ago. Have you been changed? Have you been converted? Now, don't assume that you're converted. Don't assume that you're saved if you just have a little religious experience. If you have some sentimental attraction to Jesus or if you're very religious, that's not a sign that you have been born from above. The sign that you've been born from above is that the royal authority of God is being exercised over your life and you experience that. Nicodemus is a realist. He's a businessman. He owns tin mines in Europe. He's a very wealthy, powerful businessman. And he says to him, how is a man to be born from above being old? He's not able to enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, is he? In other words, come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm a man, an old man. I've lived my life. How can I be born from above? Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless anyone may be born out of water and the Spirit, he's not able to enter into the kingdom of God. So in other words, you must be born of the water and the Spirit, or you are not going to be able to experience the royal authority of God being exercised over your life. So there is a new commandment. And that new commandment is that the enticement to sin must be removed from your heart, not the temptations. Temptations are always going to come at us from many different places around us. And even we're told that there are times when even that little one 
who is experiencing the glorious reality of the kingdom of God is going to be enticed to sin. And Jesus warned, woe to the person who entices that little one to sin. But if he sins, we know we have an advocate with the Father. First John, second chapter. So he's saying, unless you may be born out of water and the Spirit, what's he talking about? Well, the water is the washing. He's not speaking about baptism here. He's speaking about the cleansing, washing with water. The first step, if you're going to experience the royal authority of God over your life. Is that as you begin to seek the righteousness of Jesus, he's going to put his finger very specifically on things that are in your heart and in your life. And he's going to say, give that to me. Don't go there anymore. Don't do that anymore. Give it to me. Now, he cannot take a thing from you until you surrender it to him. It may be the love of money. It may be the lust of the heart. It may be cursing. It may be bitterness. But the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you very bluntly, and he will say, don't do that anymore. Now, we spoke last night at the National Prayer Chapel about what C.S. Lewis calls the shadow lands. We come out of the darkness into the light. That is, we enroll in the school of the Holy Spirit. We make the determination that we are going to follow Jesus, that we are going to serve him and him alone. And as we make that decision, the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with our hearts. We begin to read the scriptures every day. We begin to pray. We begin to search after Jesus by reading the word. And as we do so, the Holy Spirit begins to address us on those things that are unclean. Perhaps pure darkness But quickly the darkness will be removed from our hearts, but what remains will be shadows. And those shadows will cause us to be distant from Jesus. And there is required now a washing by water, a cleansing. And then the Holy Spirit to be born out of the Holy Spirit. This is the school of the Holy Spirit. Without this washing of the water and without the entering into the school of the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to experience this new command. You will not be able to experience the royal authority of God being exercised over your life. And so you'll walk as a religious person, you'll go to church, you'll pay your tithe, but you will not be walking in the school of the Holy Spirit, you will still be walking in your sin. The glorious truth of the gospel 
is that you can be released from your enticement from your inner heart to sin. It can be utterly cleansed and changed by the washing of the water and by entering into the school of the Holy Spirit. And as you do this, the royal authority of God is exercised over your heart and over your life. He goes on in verse 6, The thing having been born out of the flesh is flesh, and the thing having been born out of the spirit is spirit. You see, we're spirit people, and we're being called out of the flesh, the wickedness of our hearts. We're being called to walk in Jesus. He said, you should not marvel, Nicodemus, that what I'm saying to you, it's necessary for you to be born from above. Now, the wind is going to blow where it wills, and you hear its sound, but you don't understand from where it comes and where it goes. So everyone having been born out of the Spirit. In other words, when you begin to be born of the Spirit and you begin to enter into the royal authority of God, your family's not going to understand you. You're going to be called a fanatic. You're going to be called all kinds of names. People will no longer want to fellowship with you. You will have friends who will say, I don't want to be around you. You're crazy. And what's it getting you? What's, what's happening in your life? You're being, you're being stripped out of everything. You're not making the money you want. You're not making anything that you want. What's happening to you? Look at what's happening to you. You're losing. Nicodemus. He says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you are not understanding these things? Truly, I say to you, we know what we're saying, and we are bearing witness about what we have seen, and yet you are not receiving our witness. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I may tell you heavenly things? And then he talks about having to be lifted up. He talks about being lifted up, even as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. So there is a new command. And that new command is to enroll in the school of the Holy Spirit, to be washed by the water, to enter into the spirit of the living God, it is to have the enticement to sin removed from our hearts because we have been changed. We have been transformed. And many of you have been taught that you can never change, that you are now loved unconditionally, that you are accepted by God because you accepted Jesus. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It leaves you powerless it leaves you in sin. It leaves you in degradation and wickedness. Is this your walk with Jesus? It causes you to walk in the strength of your willpower, white-knuckling it, striving to stop sinning. Is this how you want to live your life? I don't. The victory is found in the 
royal authority of God being exercised over your life. This is the supernatural work of God that he comes and does in us and for us. But he's very clear, you must not love the world. Do you love the world? Do you love the things in the world? Have you made the transition yet where you say, okay, I'm not going to love any longer the things in the world. Lord, would you take this love from my heart? Will you change me? Will you give me this new commandment? Would you bring it to pass in my heart? Will you remove from me the enticement to sin? Will you make of me a new creature? Will you change me, O God? So the world is passing away. And the lust of the world. But the one who is enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, who understands this new commandment, who's had the enticement to sin removed from his heart and from his life. He is now doing the will of God, and the promise is this one will enter into the age to come. He continues, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come Well, what is the Antichrist? We're going to talk more about this. We're almost out of time. But just very briefly, it is a substitution for the Christ. And there are many Antichrists being taught in the church today. Substitutions for the work of Christ. Self-help. Self-effort. He says, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were never from within our fellowship. For if they were within our fellowship, they would have remained with us, but so that they may be shown that they are not all from within our fellowship, they went out from us. There is a dividing going on even today in the body of Christ with substitutions for this new commandment that removes the enticement to sin from our hearts. It's called the new covenant. The new covenant is where God comes and writes upon our heart his laws. The new covenant, the new commandment, is that you can be washed and made clean and no longer walk in the wickedness of your heart. You have been given total victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Is that your experience? Let's pray. Lord, I lift up every person listening to this broadcast today. And I ask that you would create such a hunger in their heart for the fullness of Jesus. That their heart would be so hungry they would cry out after you. They would turn off their televisions. They would turn off their internets and their cell phones. They would pick up the word of God and begin to devour it and to search after you and recognize that they have lived so long in this shallow plain that there is so much more you have for them. That, Lord, they would stop just living in the old commandment 
of effort and trying that, Lord, you would give to them your new commandment, that you would wash them with the water, that you would call them to enroll in the school of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you make it so now in the name of Jesus? Amen. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you're hungry for Jesus, I invite you to come and worship with us this Sunday. We meet at 12 noon. Let me give you the address. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. If you want the full information, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can find how you can reach us and where and when we worship. I also would like to invite you to give. That's a part of worship. I invite you to send tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray the presence of God will fill your heart with his peace. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Christ.